Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Thinking Sideways is not brought to you by the UFO hidden on the $1 bill. Instead, it's brought to you by... There's a new season of a really great podcast, In the Dark. That's right, there's a new podcast. Uh, it's back with a second season. In the first season, In the Dark earned a Peabody for its in-depth coverage of the Jacob Wetterling kidnapping. In season two, they're going to explore a new story with life-or-death consequences. In this case, it's four people who were killed in a small town in Mississippi and one black man on death row who has been tried six times for their murder. You can find In the Dark now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you might listen. Comrades, and welcome again to another episode of Thinking Sideways. I am Steve, as always, joined by... Devin. And Joe. And once again, we've got a mystery for you. What? Yeah. What is the mystery this week, comrade? Well, this week, uh, we're going to do another Vietnam War mystery. And I think that unlike the last one, most people are going to like it. Uh, The basic overview of our, our mystery is that during the Vietnam War... A Vietnam People's Air Force pilot identified by U.S. intelligence as Win Tum or 
maybe the name is actually Tune, but either way, uh, Wynn was considered to be one of the most proficient and deadliest pilots between the years of 1965 and 72. He was the, actually... The Tom Cruise of North Vietnam. Yes, yeah. he was. And during that time, he took down 13 U.S. aircraft. Jerk. But, of course, after the conflict ended, it was discovered that officially there was no record of tomb in the North Vietnamese uh, system. You know, they have no record of this guy, which begged the question of, well, why? And who who was he? So shall we get into the mystery? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah, was he some sort of spirit, perhaps? Woo! Yeah. No. Tomb. Woo! <laughs> okay. I love it when we start off like this. Mm. To start at the beginning, uh, during the Vietnam War, the Vietnam People's Air Force got help, of course, from the Soviets. And that help came in the form of aircraft and training on how to fly and operate that aircraft. And initially, the Vietnamese were the North Vietnamese were given MiG 17s, and then later they were given MiG 21s, mm. which were not the latest and greatest in uh, fighter plane yeah. technology, but they For were the good. 60s, yeah, I mean the uh, yeah the 17s were kind of classic 1950s Cold War technology. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it was like the saber jet that we had. They looked like flying pipes. Yeah, kind of cool. gonna do yeah. with wings. Yeah. Yeah, well, if you think about it, so the the MiG seventeen, it's got it's got this weird open nose cone thing going on. So instead of coming to a nice point, it it stops and it's open. Yeah. And then its wings are what you would consider a traditional airplane wing to be, but they're looped back and they have a rounded edge to them. But then the MiG twenty one has an actual pointy nose and more of the triangular shaped wing. Mm. So it 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 was more modern in that sense. But, of course, both planes are, they're very effective if put into the right hands, and the Vietnamese had to use them because they were the planes that they had, so they became very proficient with them, yeah. Yeah. which was the idea of the training. Now, there, there were downfalls to both planes. Uh, the MiG-17, specifically, as Joe said, was an older plane. It couldn't quite get up to Mach 1, from what I understand, and also it had old-school hydraulic control, or I take that back. It didn't have hydraulic controls, which meant that when you were going really fast, it was sluggish to respond because, of course, as we've talked about fly-by-wire, yeah. uh, God, I do this every time I got it mixed up. But you have to, as hard as you can pull is as much ex- force as you're going to exert yeah, on the a, flaps it's or a direct, whatever. It's a direct mechanical linkage. From, Ex- right, from yeah, your, yeah, yeah from exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, tough. that yeah. slows them down from high-speed maneuvers where the 21s are more uh, akin to the F-4 Phantoms that the U.S. were flying at that time, which were considered, you know, kind of top-of-the-line aircraft, or at least fighter jets. Mm-hmm. During the Vietnam conflict, the U.S. Signals Intelligence, which is uses the acronym SIGINT, which just pronounces so well, uh, they tracked all of the pilots that they could, and they did that by their call signs, because, of course, they're eavesdropping on all of the radio communications. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's what Signals Intelligence does. And the other yeah. side's doing a similar thing. That's just why, you know. 
We actually have, you know, we actually have more discipline when it comes to things like call signs. Apparently, our pilots change their call sign every with every mission. Oh, really? Yeah. So you might have a you might have a nickname like Tom Cruise and Top Gun, but your actual call sign is not going to be that nickname. And it probably, Maverick every time. Yeah, you're not going to actually be. They're not going to be actually calling and goose. You that. Yeah, not and no the Maverick Iceman. and Goose. Yeah, exactly. Do they get so, to come up with them, or are they assigned? I think they're assigned. Yeah, oh. yeah. That probably but makes more sense. It'd it, be hard. It does make sense because otherwise they they know who's in the air and who's not. You know, and you, well, don't, you don't want them knowing anything if you can possibly help it. Well, but if you get to pick your own, like every mission, it's like, all right, guys, we're Ar- going out for a mission tomorrow. Everybody pick their call sign. Mm-hmm. And you can't be Archer again, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no! Yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, no. Well, but you know what's funny about that is that we've apparently we've gotten much better about it, but for a long time during the Vietnam War, there was a run that the U.S. used to do every day the exact same course at the exact same time with the exact same, I mean, to the minute to the point that the North Vietnamese knew exactly when they were coming through and leveraged that against them quite effectively and took out a whole bunch of planes. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what operation that was in, but I mean, now you, it makes sense why we, we switch it up all the time, but then it apparently wasn't as big of a deal. Yeah. Or people didn't realize we, how uh, important that was. We probably didn't think they had the capability, and then all of a sudden it turns out they acquired it on the sly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, oopsie. What happens here is, uh, as we've said, they're listening to the radio chatter. They're building histories and identifying the different pilots, the U.S. intelligences of the Vietnamese pilots, kind of building uh, histories or dossiers of, you know, where they've been and what they've done right and what they've done wrong, their their strengths and weaknesses. And that allows them to eventually become uh, start tracking this one pilot in particular who we're talking about, which is Colonel Toom. He had taken out several U.S. aircraft in the mid to late 1960s and had become a bit of a boogeyman for U.S. pilots. Uh, And as the war would go on, he would rack up more and more kills of U.S. aircraft and was considered a flying ace, which if you don't know what a flying ace is, to be considered an ace, you have to, generally speaking, and depending on the conflict, this can vary, but you have to have taken out at least five enemy aircraft. Mm -hmm. If you take out four, you're a good pilot, but you're not an ace. These numbers um, seem like a little low just to the layman, right? So do we have an average of, you know, how many flight, how many aircraft a normal pilot would take out in a conflict like this? Well, there's a lot of difficulty in that. It depends on how target-rich your environment is. Sure. So in the Vietnam War... In the beginning, the Vietnamese had about 70 aircraft total available to them. Okay. Whereas the U.S. had hundreds in the air. So it's a target-poor environment for the U.S. and a target-rich environment for the Vietnamese. Now, as the war would go on, the, the Vietnamese would get more pi- more planes. Right. But again, it's how many targets are available at any one time for you to take down. So that's, yeah. it's, it's a weird it's balance. A, it's, a, you know, for them too, if we were flying in formation, one MiG can come over and just shoot a, a, an air-to-air missile. We're going to hit somebody. You mm-hmm. know? So it's kind of a shotgun kind of thing, really. I mean, I guess you're an ace, but what did you do? You ran over and, you know, fired a missile with a group of planes and hit one of them. It's not the most, you know, fantastic it's not, in the world. It's not yeah. glorious according to Hollywood, but when it comes to taking out your enemy, you did your job. Oh, you totally did. But, uh, you know, as far as, like, you know, what's going on for air-to-air kills these days, I'm not sure that there's ne- nearly any of that going on anymore. I mean, it doesn't seem like our planes, they, they, you're talking 
these incredibly fast aircraft. It's kind of hard to dogfight each other. Yeah. But all you can do is, like, you know, fire a missile at the guy, and he's probably, you can't even actually visually see him. You can see on your radar or wherever, okay, there's somebody over there, click, you know. And so it's not the dogfighting like, you know, they used to have back in the good old days. <laughs> good you know, old shooting, days. shooting at each other with, you know, with machine guns and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I guess back in the World War II days, they would actually, they would actually throw hand grenades at each other. They'd, like, try to fly over the, they're flying by paint, by planes and stuff, and they like actually just try to drop hand grenades. World down War One, you guy. mean, or two? Did I say one? There two? I I said two. Okay, one. Okay, duh. I was I was duh, asking because I was like, yeah. I don't remember a whole lot of biplanes in World War Two. No, II. no, there, there probably was one or two, but they didn't last. They didn't long. last really. Yeah. So, I probably, <laughs> but so to answer yeah. my question, no, we don't know what we an average is. Yeah, no, and it, it because changes. it depends on the conflict. And I think it's like I think it's just been going down over time, really. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see, where was I? Um... Okay, well, so we were talking about aces. Uh, so, like I said, you had to be, you had to take at least five enemy craft out to be considered an ace. Mm. And at the end of the war, Toom was recorded as having taken out 13 U.S. aircraft. Now, not all of those were airplanes with people in them. There's something that is, it's a, oh God, it's a, a drone. Yeah, it's a drone. There were two of them. And I want to say they were called fireflies or fire plug. I can't remember which. And I read about them and I didn't completely understand them, but I just want to let you know that that's in there. So if anybody goes out and starts reading about it, that is technically an enemy aircraft, so it counted for the record. Uh, yeah, apparently, so do weather balloons count? I don't. I don't know. Probably honestly. not. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably easy targets. They're probably yeah. training targets. <laughs> that'd be uh, that'd be nice for for them. Yep. So the, the there's interesting things here about Colonel Tomb, though. Uh, one of which is that there were two images of his aircraft that were circulated among U.S. forces. And these were these were images. Just to be clear, they were taken by other pilots, right? At pilots least from, one of them during that I know air, of. Air engagements, right? I believe one of them was actually on the ground, like oh, somebody it? like somebody snapped a picture while it was sitting on the ground. But I'm not I'm not 100 percent positive because I couldn't find these images. I could find images that were similar, but I couldn't find the same ones with the same, uh, at least I don't think I saw them with the same plane numbers because the planes had identifier numbers on them, as all aircraft do. Uh And the MiG-17 had the number 3020 on the nose. Uh, and it had six stars on the nose. And for people who aren't familiar with this, the number of stars on the nose means the number of kills. And then there was another image that was a MiG-21 that had the number 4326 on the nose along with 13 stars. Uh, so that's a lot of kills. But they're very two different aircraft. And that's part of the confusion in this story because... That's not typically the way a pilot would operate. They would fly a plane. They wouldn't yeah. fly multiple kinds of planes. No, not usually. Not not unless, you know, all the MiG-17s went away, and then, they, then it's time to move Colonel Toome up to a 21. But, right. Yeah. In a kind of desperate scenario. Yeah. And it, and it represents the number the aircraft took down, not the pilot, right? The stars? Typically, that's not the case. It's how many the pilot took down? Typically, okay. it's the number that so, the pilot takes so, out. So, I mean, really what we're saying here is later, this awesome pilot may have been flying a better plane. MiG-21. Maybe. Right. It's possible. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wonder how that works. I assume that, like, say, if you if you did fly, you got six kills with your MiG your MiG seventeen, and they were like, and then, oh, and then you graduate to a twenty one. Do, do they transfer? Do they those transfer skills? the six the six right. skills over to you? Then those the are your question. new plane. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling that I know the answer, but I'm going to save that till later. Okay. It seems like just it's to only, dry out the suspense. Seems like it's only fair to transfer him over. But, yeah, uh, you know, seems like that to yeah. me too. But yeah. but and then if not, like maybe he did have the you know twenty, like twenty one, twenty no twenty yeah. kills, nineteen uh, kills. Yeah, yeah, six and thirteen, 13. would be nineteen. That would be a lot. Yeah. Let's jump back to the official narrative here. By the way, what I've been trying to run through is is kind of the generally agreed upon official narrative of, of these things that are in the story. And then we'll, when we get into theories, we'll parse into bits and pieces of it more deeply as we are tend to do. But officially, Toom's career would come to an end. And that date would officially be May 10th, 1972. On that day... Randy Duke Cunningham and his co-pilot Willie Irish Driscoll, who were both U.S. Navy pilots, and they had recently just graduated from the then newly formed Top Gun program. Again, Ooh. Tom Cruise. Oh, no. No Tom. way yeah. to the danger zone. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh man, um, I hate that movie. Yeah. <laughs> So these guys uh, had graduated with the program. They're now in the air. It's May 10th. Oh, and people may recognize the name Randy Cunningham because he was a U.S. congressman. Uh, and in 2005, he was not so happily for him convicted of taking millions in bribes and sentenced to eight years in prison. So yeah. if he was your congressman, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's too bad for him. Right? So I guess he he would have gotten out by now. I, oh, I, yeah, he, I have not yeah. heard anything about Randy Randy Cunningham. I I'm remember sure when he that got he's done away. a lot to keep it that way. Uh, yeah, yeah I was going to sure. say, that's not surprising that we haven't heard anything from him. Well, I hope he was smart enough to squirrel away some of the, those millions of bribes. I have a feeling that's not the case. But yeah. anyway, pre-bribe Cunningham and uh, Irish Driscoll were both in a F-4 Phantom on that day, and they were in a, a mission which was near Hanoi when they encountered several Vietnamese People's Air Force aircraft, and it was a group of MiG-17s. As you can guess, dogfights ensued. All but one of the MiGs were taken out, and then this fight takes out that takes place between the remaining MiG and Cunningham and Driscoll. Now, Cunningham's F-4 Phantom, it had air-to-air missiles, but the other thing, but of course it's faster, but it can't do well at slow speeds. Mm-hmm. MiG-17s are better at slow speeds, but it has no missiles. Got All it's guns. got is 37 caliber and another, I can't remember what the other lighter caliber gun is. Probably a 50 cal or something some like that. It's got cannons Soviet on Soviet equivalent. It. So it's, it's shooting and that, guns. And I don't remember. I don't think the F-4 Phantom had a cannon, did it? I don't believe it had any guns, I right? don't remember that when I was reading. I think that it relied a lot on its missiles because... A lot is made out about the fact that in the early years of the conflict, the Phantom was plagued with tons and tons of issues of faulty air-to-air missiles, either not launching or just launching and not tracking their targets. There was It was a giant fiasco for mm. the Defense Department. So I feel like it had uh, the missiles, but... I don't remember off the top of my head, so I don't want to commit to that because yeah, I'm probably but, wrong. Yeah, I think it had like it was a fighter bomber. I think essentially you could drop bombs and 
fire missiles, but I don't think it had a cannon. But well, I don't, know. I don't know. If we're wrong, somebody will let us yeah, know. If you're, yeah, if you're one of those guys that flew one of those things, well, send us a note. Yep. So yeah. what happens here, though, is, of course, the, the fight goes back and forth. The MiG tries to slow the fight down so it can do better. Cunningham has to hit the afterburner, or not the afterburner, he had to hit the gas so we go fast. So this goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until he's eventually able to lock on with a Sidewinder missile and take out this final MiG-17, which he says he watched burst apart in flames and fall to the, 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 uh, ground, the ground. Thank yeah. you. I was going to say the canopy and that wasn't right. No, but uh, it fell to earth below him. He and his co-pilot though, wouldn't uh, escape unscathed very shortly after that. In that same flight, actually, they would be hit by a surface to air missile. They would fly out over the uh, South China sea where they would bail out and then eventually be uh, rescued, of course, yeah. because that's what happens to the, the hero if who has taken out the scourge of the North Vietnamese skies, Colonel Toon. If you're yeah. lucky, that's what happens. Yeah. yeah. Usually well, not actually what happens. No. Yeah. No. There's sharks and stuff. Well, Cunningham T. tells U.S. intelligence that he saw the number 3020 painted on that MiG-17, and so military, U.S. military intelligence says, yes, you took out Colonel Toom. Good job, buddy. Not only did you just get upgraded to ace status, because that was your, your kill, but you took out this bad guy. Yay! Yeah. And yeah. Toom disappears. For him. Yeah. Toom disappears from the war. Yeah, so there you go. So otherwise, yeah, you might sort of doubt his story about seeing that number on the, the nose of the plane, but then if Toom did suddenly... You know, not show up anymore. I guess he got him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Took his toys and left. Yeah. Basically. Years later, there is a Hungarian man named, oh, I'm going to, hey, I hate pronouncing this guy's name, Dr. Istvan Topersev. And he would be, he would go to Vietnam to research the pilots of the Vietnamese People's Air Force supposedly, and we'll get into the supposedly later and on. And I, I assume by years later you mean when Hungary was still under basically Soviet domination, it was still a communist state? I believe while they were still a communist oh. state. It, I, this appears to, from the reading that I've done, been before people from the West were let into Vietnam, because people from the West were held out of the country for many, many decades. Mm -hmm. yeah. But eventually, they, our historians would be allowed in, and they would come in and ask the same question as uh, the Hungarian doctor, which is, hey, um, so who was Colonel Toom? To which they would all get the same answer of... Who? who? Yeah. We don't know. Who are you talking about? We th there's no record of this guy. We don't know what you're what you're saying. And for a guy who is supposedly as good of a pilot and as good at taking down enemy, it seems really weird that he dropped out of the records completely mm -hmm. and entirely. You know, maybe he they sent him on a super secret mission and they had to erase his name from the whole record. Maybe. Yeah, that must be it. Save yeah. that for theories. Okay. Okay. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so this flying ace, this war hero, and, and believe me, the Vietnamese love to celebrate their war heroes. He disappears. So it brings up what is our mystery, which is, A, why is he not in the record? And B, if he was a real person, who was he? Yeah. So, why was he so super secret? Because, yeah, he, if war hero, you'd think they'd be celebrating him and have statues of him and all kinds of stuff. Abs of friggin' Luli. Yeah, you think. All right. Yeah. So that's our mystery. So let's ah. get into the theories. Okay. But first, let's take a quick break. 
Support for today's show comes from Grove. Grove is an e-commerce company that I like because they make it easy for me to find the best natural products to take care of myself, my home, my cats, and to make sure I never run out of my stuff. Uh, They've got a lot of really good products. Mrs. Myers, seventh generation, real simple, Tom's, etc., etc. And I really like the Mrs. Myers because it uh, doesn't make me break out and it looks really good in my bathroom. As I said, I really like Mrs. Myers a lot. There's also this really cool laundry detergent that's concentrated. It comes in a recyclable container. And what I really like about it is that it's a concentrate. It costs less to ship, and it's smaller. It takes up less space in my house. So it's really the best. Um, another, another great thing about Grove is they deliver everything right to your door when you want it. They offer free shipping and free returns, no questions asked. And they have Grove guides, which are always available to answer your questions or add items to your next order if you run out. So sign up for Globe Collaborative at grove.co, that's grove.co slash sideways, and you'll receive a $30 Mrs. Myers gift set for free with your order of 20 bucks or more. That's grove.co, not com, slash sideways. Grove.co, sideways. You won't regret it. And we're back. Yeah. So theory number one. Yeah. There's a a theory. What's that? There's a theory. There's, well, actually, believe it or not, I've got, what, four or five in here? Never mind your ghost theory. So, yeah, yeah, I've got a lot of theories in here. Yeah, the secret agent theory. Yeah, don't forget about the secret agent theory. Yeah, no, actually, this uh, this one is actually all over the internet, especially on, like, aviation sites and Vietnam veteran sites. This this particular theory? No, this particular mystery. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, I got a lot of of good information out there. There's a ton of of information out there, although a lot lot of the same information, but, you know. And a lot of arguing. Yeah. Because that's what forums are all about. Oh, yeah. Okay. So theory number one is that Colonel Tomb was, in fact, a myth created accidentally by the U.S. Signals Intelligence Group. They, or, got, they got their signals crossed. Uh, <laughs> not, not, good oh. for, not good for a SIG ant to get their SIGs crossed. Nope, you know? nope. So basically what it is is that the theory is that he never, never actually existed, and they made him up by accident. And there's a couple of different ways that this could happen. Now, of course, as we talked about earlier, to be a fly, this is all backstory. I think we've covered some of this, but sometimes people miss these bits. So I just want to recover a little bit of territory, which is you have to take down at least five enemy aircraft to become a ace. Yeah. And the Vietnamese had dozen, uh, over a dozen aces, like we talked about, whereas the Americans only had one ace. That was Randy Cunningham and Irish Driscoll. Uh, I really feel bad. What Willie, that was his name, Willie. Yeah. Keep calling him Irish. I yep. feel racist. Yeah. Um, but it's fun. His name, not racism. But <laughs> Oh, come on. Admit it, Steve. You love it. No, no. Yeah. Uh, but so the thing is, is that it was the reason that there were so many aces is for a U.S. pilot you did a year of duty. That was your tour, was you spent a year in country, yeah. and then you would rotate back home, and you would do training, and you'd be stationed somewhere. And, and by the you... way, in that year, you would not do 365 missions. No, 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 not, no, no, no. Nowhere no, no. near that. No, not no. at all. Yeah. But the thing was, is that you guys could ask to come to be stationed back in Vietnam, and occasionally that happened, but the vast majority of them did not. So yeah, you it had... seems like it was pretty miserable over there for the most part. It was not. Yeah. Well, nobody really enjoys war. A few weirdos do, but, you know, they're they're thankfully the minority. Uh, but the thing is, is that these guys, so they get about a year to, to try and rack up 
you know, five kills. Of course, for the North Vietnamese pilots, they're home. They so were there for 10 years, not They're one there year. for the whole yeah. war. So they have a lot of flights and a lot of time to rack up all these kills. So that's the reason that there's kind of that imbalance in terms of the number of aces yeah. from one side to the other. Another reason that there would, and this is a factor as to why there's so many North Vietnamese aces, is ground-based radar. Remember that planes at that time, today we're all used to the fancy modern fighter craft we see in the movies, and they've got radar built in. They've got every kind of device built in that they can to see around them, much farther than the pilot can just see with the naked eye. Well, plus we've also got airborne radars beyond theirs, you know, yeah. like the AWACS and There's stuff like that. There's all kinds of things. Yeah. But that is not so much the case in the late 60s and early 70s, and MiG-17s didn't have anything built in, so they were reliant upon what the naked eye could see as well as ground-based radar. And the U.S., we knew about the ground-based radar, but the U.S. forces never actually went after those ground-based radar installations as in to take them out and handicap those MiG-17s because there were other nations helping. Yeah, We talked about the Soviets were there because they were helping with training and equipment. And they were coming and they were going to those uh, radar installations and helping out. Yeah. The Chinese were doing the same thing because, again, Soviets and the Chinese are both under communist governance. And the North Vietnamese, they wanted to unify their country. And communism was the the system they, they agreed upon was the right one. Yeah, so they're all the working the, together. The wave of the future for humanity. Yeah, well, it but, is. But this means but, uh, that you help your buddy out. Well, of course, but and that's you know, and that and that's what they were trying to do all kinds of countries all around the world, mm -hmm. so, you know, help them to become commies. And uh, but yeah, and of course they didn't want to bomb the radar stations cuz they might kill they might kill Ivan. Or, or they might kill they might a Chinese, kill the Chinese advisor, guy. and that just opens up well, a this is whole like, other can of worms of conflict. Well, this has been um, this has been a like you know a big bone of contention about Vietnam forever is that uh, it's that our side was way too reticent about stuff like that. I mean, we should have bombed those stations and taken out those radars. From, but, you know, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I understand what you're you saying know? from the standpoint of to quote unquote win the war. Yeah. I, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, yeah, we should have done that. You know, and I said that. If the, if the Soviet squawk, you just say, I'm sorry, you, you guys were in a war zone. What did you expect? You know? I mean, yeah. But of course, I mean, and this is, it's, you know, the old saying goes, generals always fight the last war. And the previous war, of course, had been Korea. Yep. And remember what happened there, you know, is after, you know, after initially getting knocked on our heels, we came back big time, invaded, and were almost, really on the verge of triumph in North Korea. And then the Chinese invaded. And suddenly we're talking about the war got a lot bigger. And so, like I said, that that colored all the thinking about Vietnam, and you know, it's it's really a shame too, mm -hmm. because you know we could have probably had a better outcome in Vietnam if we hadn't had that sort of that tit for tat mentality and that reticence about about attacking the North that they, by the way, didn't feel towards us. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they just didn't like us. Yeah, they, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so okay. So, so this is this is going on, and this is one of the factors why the MiG seven the MiGs were yeah they were quite doing eff better effective because yeah. they had that other form of detection out there. Uh, there's some things that also uh, lean into the theory of this guy didn't exist. Uh, the next one is that the name Tomb or 
tune. And by the way, the spelling on these is T O M B, tomb. Yeah, like like like, like a crypt, a tomb. Like, yeah. Or tune, T O M N, as in cartoon. Yeah. Neither of those names are Vietnamese names. Yeah, apparently, they, they're not yeah. in the the lexicon at all. Yeah, there were there were at least one or two pilots named Tuan, but uh, like T U A N would uh-huh. be the transliteration Tuan, which which maybe over the radio could come out sounding kind of like tune, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, but I don't think any of those guys scored anywhere near thirteen kills. Not that I'm aware of. There's yeah. a, there's a big list. You can actually go on the internet and find this giant list. I mean, I remember Devin and I were talking about the the different the names and how similar they were as yeah. you drop down the list. Yeah. But none of them really seem to fit the moniker of this guy. Uh, now there are people that believe that this is what happened: is that U.S. signals intelligence is listening. And they hear chatter of North Vietnamese pilots, and they hear a name that they don't know, and they're not sure how to interpret or write it down. How is it spelled? Something like that. And so what they do is they do their best, and they write down the equivalent of what they think it is, which is wrong. And this happens several times. And suddenly this pilot named Tomb or Tune is born out of a badly transcribed set of conversations by ground control or by uh, listening intelligence, mm. the, the radio intelligence guys. Yeah. So it's, it's a complete screw up that just happened to line up. Mm-hmm. The other way is that it could have happened and, and we'll explain some, I'll give me a second here and there's some examples of this is there are times where they are trying to figure out who's in the air and whoever it is just isn't giving a name that they can use to assign to them. And so what Signals Intelligence has been known to do is to assign them a name. Just make one up out of whole mm. cloth right there yeah. and say, that's Timmy. And then that operator that assigned a name, like, like you know, ends his tour, goes back overseas. Somebody looks at his logbooks later and doesn't realize this, right? Right. Yeah, and doesn't realize that he just assigned the name to him. Correct. Yeah. He doesn't realize that Timmy isn't a real pilot. Timmy is a moniker for a made-up name of somebody who doesn't, they just don't know who it is. Mm. And there are historical accountings of this having happened in the past. If we look back at World War II, U.S. forces in Guadalcanal, they started um, they started calling, oh God, what is it, what is it, what is it, what is it? It was Japanese pilots who would start running night, run, night missions, mm-hmm. and they, of course, didn't know who they were, and they started nicknaming those pilots Washer Machine Charlie. Mm-hmm. And that was because they uh, they were flying two engine planes, and those engines were slightly out of sync. So yeah. if you think about if you've ever so been on a two prop plane, exactly a two prop plane, it's just oh, it's very consistent. But when they're not, they do make kind of that boom, 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 back and forth rocking washer machine noise. Mm-hmm. So that's they nicknamed them Washing Machine Charlie. Right. In the European theater, there was Bed Check Charlie, who was German pilots who were known to go out just before, uh, just before or just after dusk and run night runs as well and the name was uh, was given because it was just after lights out these guys would show up and these guys were they the US forces hated them because if you knew that bed check charlie or washer machine charlie were coming you just had to lay there 
all night long. You didn't know if the bombs were going to get you or if they were just going to explode around or near or because they, their accuracy was crap. Yeah. But it was, it really struck a note of fear in those men on the ground. Yeah. But that does seem like a better way to, uh, name people that you don't know instead of making up a, you know, Colonel name. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds a little made up, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and if it's Colonel tune, then it makes even more, 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 even more. Somebody was being sense. funny. Yeah, that it was like in a play on cartoon or whatever. Yeah, but you know, assigning some name that nobody could ever think. Oh yeah, that's the real name of that mm. pilot, like Washing Machine Charlie. Like nobody's ever gonna look at a record and be like, wow. Yeah, huh? yeah, good that's point. A weird how many, name. how many Washing Machine Charlies did the did the Japanese have? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know washing machines were in use. Yeah, so yeah. that just, I mean, you know, for me that doesn't really follow, but yeah. Yeah, it's like, and I, I don't think that uh, if his name actually, if they assigned the name Tomb, T-O-M-B, I, I wouldn't see them. I couldn't see them quite assigning that to another pilot because you're kind of, you're kind of giving him, you know, you're assigning this name that sounds pretty badass. Yeah, you know, to and us. Yeah, and we're not. And well, we're to not, us. Yeah, pretty yeah. badass. So you, you know, just like you know, you're not going to name some other, you know, Colonel Death or, or you know, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, or anything like that. You're going to Colonel Nick, Sasquatch. Yeah, you're, you're not going to be like, oh, his this unknown guy, the Punisher. Yeah, exactly. Right? You're, you're not going to do that. You're going to call him something. You know, you're going to deride him. You're going like to something Colonel derisive. Chupy? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Colonel Chupy. Or Colonel Sideways or something like that. Well, not that one. That's pretty badass. What am I saying? No, no, yeah. actually, yeah. it's pretty hokey. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I've met that colonel. Well, you see what I'm saying. Um, I do. I totally yeah. get it. But, yeah. but at the same time, of course, it's over the radio. He's speaking in a foreign language. And, you know, so tomb could have sounded like tomb. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, no. There, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can you can try and enunciate that to make it make sense, but it it doesn't make sense. That's a it's a it's too close to the real thing for us West uh, you know English speakers yeah. to just ascribe that to a name from another language that mm-hmm. we don't quite understand. Yeah. yeah. The other problem with this theory is the fact that, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. Pilots didn't train and fly a lot in different aircraft. If you were a MiG-17 pilot, the program was you flew the MiG-17 to be the most proficient MiG-17 pilot you could be. Not you flew a MiG-17 and, oh, by the way, we're also going to train you on a MiG-21 and maybe something else. And you'll just be kind of an okay pilot overall, but not really good in any one of them. That that wasn't the way it worked. That's really true. It's like, because, yeah, I mean, it takes a long time to get really good at an aircraft. And it's like, if you switch to the 21, you're throwing away a lot of good experience. I mean, you're taking some of it with you, obviously. Yeah. But you're throwing a lot away, too. Yeah. So, you know, I mean. No, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. I think yeah. in kind of theory, for the sake of argument, you could say, you know, this guy's racked up six, seven kills in this kind of crappy Yeah, time thing. to graduate. The lower you know, performance and maybe, model. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he one day was like, oh, yeah, let me take that other one out for a spin and was equally good. And they were like, you can have this awesome one yeah. if you think you can kill more dudes with it. It could have I been. Mean, I suppose in that case, oh, let me take it up, see if I can kill a few American pilots that he did. And so, okay, I guess you get it. I guess you get you know, that I one now. You get the 21. But yeah. typically that was not, and the Soviets, I think, were running their air force. They were. And, yeah, and I can't imagine. And that is not imagine. Soviet doctrine no. at all. Well, no, and if, to, you, yeah. if you remember, keep in mind, though, it's, it's the, the controls are not going to be the same from one model to the next. It's oh, like no. getting into, I'm just going to pick on Chevy. 
You get into the, the little itty-bitty Chevy car, the little two-seater that is a, a pregnant uh, roller skate, and then you jump up into their giant SUV. The general basics are the same, but things are not exactly the same, and they're in different places, and it's all going to be a little different. And mm-hmm. you're going to be really not that good in the big one when you just got out of the pregnant roller skate one. Which well, we're good at. Yeah, well, and, and that's why, I mean, I'm just saying for the sake of yeah. argument. It's I guess it's technically feasible, but highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Seems that way to me. Though I guess I could see the kind of accidental they just assign that call name to any pilot they don't know that kills somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that would make sense that it was kind of it was either plane they didn't they oftentimes didn't know the call sign of the pilots that were actually you know striking their aircraft and they're just that would also explain why it was tomb right because they were like oh crap this unnamed tomb the you know the tomb guy came again and took down one of our aircrafts and we had tomb raider well but you know but you 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 understand what i'm saying yeah i get it i get it so that could be a alternate on this that it was an accidental recreation it's, of this it's guy. A, it's but a it moniker was... given to a pilot who scores a kill, but we don't know who that pilot exactly. is, and it gets repeated over and over. Yeah. And as the beginning of the theory said, then becomes when somebody else finds the logbook mm-hmm. a year later, holy cow, this guy is a badass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. could have been. Or, you know, actually this is another theory that's out there on the same whole, it was a myth thing. Mm-hmm. And I found this theory on uh, 21stCenturySocialism.com. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I did for reals. I'm not I joking. Believe you. Yeah, I know and you don't make the, this stuff the, up. The theory is that the um, uh, Colonel Tune was actually a, was actually a creation of the U.S. Navy, whose planes these were, and he, they they created Colonel Tune to and created this big legend, and then had him killed as a big morale booster. Mm. It's like the, this legendary pilot, and huh. we we killed him off. Interesting. Yeah, I I can see that. I can understand it. It seems pretty weak, yeah. and it seems kind of hard to. I mean, that's a that would take a long time to build up, especially mm-hmm. when you consider how often guys are cycling in and out of their tours of duty. Yeah, I mean, you would have to you'd have to let that run for at least a year, if not two. Oh yeah, before you pull the final lever and kill him off. Yeah, I know. That's that's that is kind of the whole thing about about it. I think I think twenty first century socialism com's viewpoint was like you know here it is here are here's the perfidious you know u.s once again you know coming up with this big lie you know about you know, <laughs> yeah probably yeah and so of course. yeah so i kind of i kind of suspect they probably made it up or some commie made it up i don't know who knows yeah that was a perfect lead into the next theory because the next theory is that actually colonel tomb was a piece of propaganda but he was a piece of propaganda created by the Vietnam, the North Vietnamese. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of like carrots. Yeah, carrots. Carrots. Well, I don't remember during which war it was, but it was right when the U.S. had come up with night vision technology or oh, some yeah, we've talked radar about this. technology. Yeah. But they, yeah. when people, they just yeah. started doing this propaganda thing in America where they were like, "Carrots will give you great vision." And that's not like really actually true. Is it um, all really? But they yeah. they were trying to cover up the fact that they had this advanced technology, and that's why they were being successful overseas during the war. So they mm-hmm. just 
kind of went with it, and now it's like part of the Our guys have great uh, vision because they all eat carrots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I remember that, talking about I remember this. that when I was a kid. That was, that was kind of like, you know, the accepted wisdom is that carrots were good for your eyes. Yeah. 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 Turns out that's wrong. Yeah. They're well, terrible I mean, they're for not, your eyes. They're not bad for your eyes. I'm sure, yeah, carrots are not going to hurt you. actually yeah. give you like supervision or no, anything. And you won't really. go blind if you don't eat them. So You might. Uh, no. Depends on how else you're eating. Okay. Don't don't listen to that, boys and girls. Yeah, Devin's making carrots. that up. No, you should okay, eat so your the th- carrots. The theory is the theory is that indeed the the North Vietnamese made this particular pilot up, uh, as Joe would say, out of whole cloth, and they did so because, as we've already established, we were listening to them, and they knew we were listening to them. So of course. they said, "Hey, why don't we go ahead?" And make some crap up yes. because nothing screws up the enemy than a giant stinking pile of bull that yeah, we make sure. up out of nowhere. Well, and uh, it's not wouldn't be that hard. So you, and you know, on all these different runs, you know, you send this send one of the pilots is just named Colonel Tomb. Yeah, you know, it's just that simple. Yeah. Well, and, and so the he, other it thing, looks like Colonel Tomb is just everywhere. And well, and the other know. thing that the, that they can do is they can, and what would be easy to help leverage this is that there was always a commander of the squadron, and that commander didn't always go up. But let's say that they made the gag that if the commander's not actually in the air physically, you say he's in the air and you call him something that then is badly interpreted. And that's, again, we're going back to this, you know, this interpretation of a name that is given. And maybe they had a half dozen different names that they used and Tomb just happened to be the one that stuck for the U.S. because it turns out Colonel Pinky wasn't well, all that scary of a name. Or, you know, it could have been an inadvertent thing on the part of the North Vietnamese. It might turn out that Colonel Tomb is kind of, you know, Vietnamese military slang for venereal disease, say, for example. So the pilots are out in their bombing run or whatever, and, you know, they're killing a little time on their way there. And one of them says, yeah, it looks like I'm getting another visit from Got another visit from Colonel Tomb, so, you know, and so maybe that's it. Maybe that's all it was. They're just that, talking that about is their the VD. dirtiest answer I have found to this story yeah. yet, and I like it a well, lot. I was yeah. gonna say maybe it was something they were competing for. Like whoever on that run gets the most kills gets to be called Colonel Tomb for the next run. It's true, mm-hmm. yeah. and then that helps also explain how they racked up so many kills yeah. under that moniker. It's mm-hmm. possible. Yeah. I, I do have to say, though, there is a gigantic problem with this theory, and that is that the v- North Vietnamese government, or the Vietnamese government in general, because they're a unified country now, does not let any opportunity to promote the deeds of its patriots to pass them by. Oh, of course not. And if this guy were as proficient and good as the records in the story say, then he should have had, as Joe said earlier, statues erected. And well, I at least one. And we've talked about this uh, on another episode, and you two know is that I just got back from Vietnam. I was in the north. I was in the south, and I saw placards and billboards accounting uh, to the deeds of everyday people during this conflict and granted it was the 50 year memorial so, or anniversary so they were putting out more of this but very I mean what we would consider little acts of heroism were made giant scale so this guy that is now on a giant scale of heroism of beating back the Americans there should have been a lot of stuff they wouldn't yeah. just 
pass the opportunity by to to tout to to trot him out and say, "Look at our great pilot." Um, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't understand how that follows this theory because isn't this theory that he was total boogeyman made up by the Vietnamese? Yeah, it is. But if if he was made, it doesn't make sense that they would have made him up because they want they they would gravitate and they would grab and they would they would elevate anybody well, who was doing good on their side. So it seems weird. So the architect of the scheme would at least get a, a note. Something to that effect. Yeah, well, somebody other, would have got recognition. The, the other problem I have with this theory, too, is that you make it this, this big, scary boogeyman to scare the pants off the American pilots and stuff. You don't kill them off, right? And they killed them off. Why mm-hmm. would they do that? And, well, yeah. I mean, they may not have killed them off. It may have actually just gotten to a point where they found out through their moles in the U.S. intelligence that the U.S. thought they had actually gotten Colonel Toon because they had because he shot down the right number, right? Because uh-huh. that was one of the planes that was identified as him. And they thought, all right, let's just we'll just let them. This is too much. This has gotten out of hand. Let's just let them uh-huh. do their thing. Maybe. Well, and there's some pilots that are that were believed to be Toon, and this is we're kind of going off script here and that's fine because we do this all the time there was uh, at least one if not two other pilots that for a long time were believed to have been tomb and those guys were actually retired from the 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 pilot seat they were taken out of the air by the vietnamese arm or military and said listen you were too valuable to us you have to train the next generation of pilots and so then they became a trainer and these guys there's i mean if you look through the records you can find you know this guy retired after the war to here and did this and this one did that but again he we know where those guys were were and they're talked about they didn't just disappear so it just it seems weird that they would just invent him and then let him go and i guess my problem with it is that if they did invent him and then they let him die what a better way to to stick a finger in the bad guy's eye and then to say later on oh hey by the way you know colonel tomb he was total crap. We yeah. made him up. And we're going to now celebrate the fact that we fooled you mm. with this giant yeah, we, campaign of crap. Yeah, we punked you, Uncle Sam. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uncle Sam's not good with being punked. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. But, uh, well, Uncle Sam must be used to it by now. But, um, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not buying this series you know, for the reason that they wouldn't kill him off. You okay. know? Yeah, I just yeah. don't buy it. All right. So it's, it's, a, it's a bad TV plot line. Yeah. Uh, anything else on this particular one, Devin? Nope. Cool. Okay, well, let's go on to theory number three, which is that Colonel Toom was, in fact, real, but he was not a Vietnamese pilot. Mm-hmm. In matter of fact, he was one of their allies' pilots. As we talked about earlier, both the Chinese and the Soviets were in-country and helping the North Vietnamese. And... I mean, as with equipment and advisors, and mm-hmm. we do know that in at least one other war, which was the Korean War, there were Soviet pilots fighting in that war in the air. Yeah, and we do know also that in the Vietnam conflict, there were Soviet um, Soviet guys running different battle stations and battalions on the ground. So it's it's. Probable that this guy could have been, and uh, you know, from another country who mm-hmm. was a neighbor country that was an ally country. 
of course, nobody's ever come forward. Now, the Soviets, they're pretty big on coming forward and, and taking um, credit for what they've done. Mm-hmm. So it seems funny that they didn't do it. The Chinese are a little less so, Maybe was, at least in the past. Yeah, now, I assume that uh, they were communicating air-to-air in Vietnamese, correct? Yeah. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, it was there was no there was no Slavic language in there or yeah. no traditional Chinese or Mandarin in there. So yeah. I, as far as I'm aware, it was yeah. all in Vietnamese. And so I and so I don't know. I mean, I, I'm assuming that Chinese a, a Chinese person would have an easier time learning Vietnamese than a Russian, but I don't know. Or at least speaking it without a, a, a heavy accent. But again, uh, I don't really there, know. Yeah, uh, I think that it is a similar foundation. Yeah. Um, actually, I know they're a similar foundation because Vietna- the Vietnamese language and the Chinese language do uh, thread back like 500 plus years be- ago before they split apart. Yeah. And the Vietnamese do have Chinese characters as kind of decorative symbols to represent things. Although, from what I understand, they can't read them because uh, they read their language, not the Chinese language. So, yeah, it is possible. Yeah, so it's it, possible it what you're saying. More likely Chinese than Soviet. Yeah. yeah, but 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 just because somebody's Soviet doesn't mean they can't learn to fluently speak a language other no, than absolutely. their own. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm just talking about I'm just talking about speaking it so well with so little accent that the guy the guy listening on the other end can't tell that you're a foreigner. I, you know, I mean, I would just think the Chinese would have a better chance of getting away with that than the Soviets. And I don't know, but I, I but, but so, the but thing is, is again, nobody has ever come forward and made a claim. You would think somebody would have, huh? You would, I mean, unless they did indeed die in the conflict. But even then, you would think their government would say, "Oh, hey, Uncle Sam, we pumped you." Mm. I mean, Didn't unless happen. it was, you know, Russia, and they were, you know, coming out of this thing, they were like, "Oh, well, maybe it doesn't really behoove us for relations." to admit that this guy who killed a bunch of their people was actually our guy. Maybe it actually politically makes more sense for us to just keep that under wraps and not really, you know, talk about it. And that mm-hmm. would that would explain why both countries would then kind of sweep it under. Vietnamese don't want to say, oh, yeah, well, our best guy, he wasn't our guy. Yeah. Right. And like you're saying, the Soviets really don't want to bring light to or it. Or China. I mean, you or know, China, yeah. the, I'm, the politics are a thing that we I have to... I hate them, but they are. But I mean, you know, that's just di- diplomacy is a thing that yep. we have to take into consider- consideration here as well, because, you know, it's, it's certainly possible possible that at that time in the history that they just thought, eh. No, I think that, uh, yeah, especially from the Soviet point of view, their their long-term plan has always been about, uh, you know, bringing American, basically bringing American opinions of themselves as low as possible. And it's been a long-term project, and so well, and look at and reality so, TV—they're doing their job. I know they're they're and look at our universities—they're—it's working well. And so <laughs> the uh, um, and so the thing about it is, is what from that point of view. What is it better to have the American public believe? They got their butts kicked by a combination of the Soviets, the Chinese, and the Vietnamese, or they got their butts kicked by just the Vietnamese. What's, yeah. What serves your purposes better? Yeah. yeah I definitely. Just and the that Vietnamese. depends on the long-term plan. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Okay, Doc. Well, let's go on oh. to what is actually our last theory. Oh, wow. And the, uh, yeah, I, we raced through the beginning and then we drug out through this. So the last theory is that Colonel Tomb was not a pilot. Not a single pilot, anyway, but instead... A was... wascally wabbit? <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> instead, multiple pilots. Oh. Oh, okay. Several different wrong script, pilots. Wrong script, wrong script. Okay. Uh, yeah, wrong script. So, uh, there, there are 
quite a few, as we talked about before, Viet- North Vietnamese pilots who had been considered aces or scored records, the B aces. And I have three of them listed here because these are kind of the top three contenders who may have been mishmashed together to create Colonel Tomb. So there's Win Van Kock who has nine kills. There's Win Van Bay with seven kills and Win Doc Sot with six kills. So these three guys right here, that is uh, 16, 22 kills between three pilots right there. And they flew different planes, but it's possible that they may have been melded and mashed together. And the reason that some of that is, is if you remember those photos of the airplanes that I told you before had been circulated. So there's the... The MiG-17, number 3020 with the six stars. Mm-hmm. And then MiG, the MiG-21 with number 4326 that had 13 stars on its nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I held this little fact back when we talked about it in the beginning. But in a traditional sense, at least the way I think about it, and I think most Westerners do, and especially because we watch movies and TV... The number of stars on the nose of a plane denotes the number of kills, and those number of kills are to the sole pilot or pilot co-pilot team that fly that particular bird. Because, yeah, in our military, the pilot or the or the team get the same plane always. That's all their the plane. Yeah. Well, that that's not the way that it worked in the Vietnam conflict because the the Vietnamese People's Air Force had didn't have a whole planes. lot of planes. Yeah. They had a glut of pilots. So and this is kind of makes sense from a communist state of view of you know because we share everything so it's everybody's and that means that everybody gets the victory and so instead of a single plane having a single pilot with x number of kills you had a single plane with x number of kills so and three or four different pilots three four five six different pilots so each guy could have taken down one uh enemy aircraft and that plane looks like like it's flown by one seriously skilled pilot. Yeah. And that's the way their system worked. Mm-hmm. So yeah. suddenly you can see where the confusion of looking at the numbers on the actual nose cone and how that could be recorded to the Western eye yeah. could so we're hearing this happen. So, yeah, we're hearing a lot about this Colonel Tomb, but we don't actually know how many kills he's got. And then somebody up, but he seems to be the, the, mo- the most deadliest of the of the ball and then somebody spots this thing somewhere in a, in a photograph or wherever sees the 13 stars and thinks that must be the famous colonel tune yeah or tomb excuse me and, whichever one yeah, it is yeah. I mean, you're, you're not wrong in saying tune uh, or it tomb be, it must be the infamous tomb because oh my god look at all those stars yeah, yeah so. is there a possibility that their code name their call signs were actually assigned to their planes not the pilots themselves I do not know the answer to that, to be quite honest. I had not thought of that particular angle. I had had the idea that it was possible, and this may not be right, but I'd had the idea that maybe when a plane went down, they reassigned the number to another plane, Mm -hmm. and then that plane continued on with with a new set of stars. But of Mm -hmm. course... If you see this MiG-17 4030 with six stars, and then you see it, or with four stars, and then you see it again with five, or 
three stars, whatever. You could start to think that the numbers are stacking up and something's confusing, but I, I don't know. This is, it's by the way, total speculation. Well, I I'm guess, guessing. yeah, I mean, it, I guess it just a little bit would, the reason that I would suggest that is, you know, they only had so many planes, but they also had like a bunch of teams that went out in different planes. Mm -hmm. And I almost wonder if they just always wrote, okay, they were, all right, you know, these two pilot, this pilot and co-pilot team are assigned to this call sign airplane, which makes it harder to track the actual pilots for, because mm -hmm. they knew that other people were listening. So it's, they're just tracking the planes at that point. And then you just are never saying who Everybody who's on that mission and everybody who's on the ground, you know, knows yeah. who's in what plane. I don't know anything. This is total speculation. I, well, I, just, and I was, I was going to say, I like the idea, except that I have read accountings that talk about the fact that sometimes pilots would melt down in the seat when another pilot would go down and they would, they would break their, the communication cycle and suddenly start using the proper names. And so, but, uh, but the, that's still, but, but what I, well, what I'm getting at though, is that I think that they started out using whatever their assigned call sign was and then using, you know, your actual name. So but not Iceman, still, but, but that would uh, still follow if Iceman was the plane and people are freaking out cause Iceman's going down and then suddenly they're talking about, Oh my God, John's dead. Yeah. Still follows. Right. Because they're still freaking out. They break character or break whatever protocol. And they're just talking about the person that was in that mm -hmm. thing that actually the call sign was assigned to the, the plane, plane itself, not necessarily that pilot. Yeah. I maybe. don't know. Yeah. I don't, that's I don't how know. I would do it. If I had an air force, I would definitely just assign call signs to airplanes. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get a lot of really angry emails about why that doesn't work. And why did we just kill Val Kilmer? Yeah. That Val just, Kilmer! It just, that just is how I would do it if it were me. Kill then Val Kilmer? No. <laughs> Track yeah. the planes. I know. Not the pilots. Because, yeah, you know, it makes it harder for them to keep these sort of logs of, okay, well, you know, Iceman is, is really crappy at this thing. Well, actually, matter of fact, it turns out Iceman is just the plane. So yeah, knows and and it's and, and it's possible, like I said, though, is that it may be that it's it's that it's just these couple of guys that their numbers or their kills recorded by the North Vietnamese, you know, it's nine, seven and six, these particular gentlemen that I just listed out. But of course, on the U.S. side, those were all erroneously assigned over Different to people. Colonel Toome. Totally. And so in the mm. U.S. books, these guys are not as good, but then Toome is taken. I don't know. Yeah, I really say. don't know. Yeah, it is really hard to say. I mm. do have to say, though, there is one hitch that I came across in this entire story. By the way, this is kind of stepping outside of the theory section and onto Steve's soapbox section, yeah. uh, which I try not to do, but this one really made me mad, is... I in the in the telling of the story we talked about the Hungarian doctor uh, Istvan Topsev. I oh, got I'm butchering his name every time, and I apologize. I, I, I it looks to me like Topersev and Topersev. Okay, Topersev. yeah. Anyway, the doctor Istvan. Uh, well. In everything that I had been reading for a long time, it talked about how the Hungarian doctor had gone and done the initial research and then followed by other people. But as we're want to do, I said, well, I want to I want to learn some more about this guy and I want to maybe read some of his stuff and check him out. And I started following the path of him. 
And at first, I started coming across these sites that were reviews of his books, and I got the feeling that maybe he curated them. Because normally, when you get into a, a review site and you, you see other authors on there, they say, "Oh, doctor, the the Hungarian doctor is a great guy." Blah blah blah. Or yeah. the Hungarian doctor is full of crap, and here is why, and I've proved it. But instead, these reviews said something like, uh, the Hungarian doctor has got everything right in his book, and I got it all wrong in my book, and I'm a horrible author and researcher and a giant pile of poo as an author. Wonder Thank who wrote you, that doctor. Review. Well, that's why I thought, wow, <laughs> yeah. it's really funny. I think he's, he's kind of curating this stuff, and he's yeah. also hugely prolific. I found at least a dozen books. It looks like he's putting out a book a year on a different kind of aircraft. But the guy is is apparently a plagiarist, though, right? Well, it appears that way because as I got onto stuff, I started reading and there's one review that I found, uh, and it's on Amazon, which is great. And it's his book about the Vietnam conflict. And in there's the one that's always cited as talking about Colonel Toom. And basically what it said is that he had taken and copied almost word for word, including the front and rear covers mm-hmm. of a book, which in English is History of the People's Air Force of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I can't pronounce it in the local dialect because I tried and I, I just cut it out because it was really bad on my part. But basically, he just straight up copied it and put it in English, and somehow that inserted him into the story. Sadly, it appears more and more these days, this is a common thing, the plagiarism. Um, mm-hmm. Have you, uh, what is the book? There's that book of uh, out there called The Art of Not Giving an F. Mm-hmm. Have yeah. you guys seen this book? Yes. Uh, yeah, I've not read it. Though. Okay, well, no. this book is out there. Well, I was at home talking to my wife. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I found this blatant thing of plagiarism. She's like, oh, dude, go on, look for that book, The Art of Not Giving an F. And look for it on Amazon and you'll find another version that has almost an identical copy, almost an identical cover, and it's five bucks cheaper. So it appears that this is happening more and more and more. And somehow this guy, 10, 20 years ago, did it and has become just He's just been swept up in the copy-paste phenomena Mm. that is the internet talking about stories like this. So I say that because, boys and girls, you need to check your sources. Because I almost was like, and the Hungarian doctors said, and then I found out my source was complete crap. And Mm. it was not a good thing. Yeah, the the Hungarian doctor might not have been wrong about any of this stuff. It's just that he just... He, up, he never up, did the research. Straight, no, he straight up copied it all, so you can't really take credit. But at, yeah. least, he's, at least he's hopefully not leading you astray. No, yeah, well, know, it well. appears that others have gone and asked the same question. So the, the, it is still yeah, a valid the, mystery. The original author did. Yes, uh. as well as Western historians mm-hmm. have since followed and asked the question and tried to figure it out. So it is still truly we don't know. Yeah, yeah no, so, it is a puzzle. And yeah, people still are speculating about it. It's, uh, like I said, not on web pages that most people tend to look at yeah yeah it is so at this point i want to know what favorite theory for each of you well devin you want to go first yeah it was the airplanes oh my favorite theory your theory it was all assigned to a plane and a pilot second to that would be that it's an it's a number of different 
pilots that just got lumped in together. Okay. Yeah. Joe, how think, about you? I don't think it was, it was the airplane because I don't think you'd want to name your plane Tomb. I don't think that's that's not conducive to good morale. But uh, so I'm going to go with uh, it was just a, a myth, a, a product of confusion uh, among the SIGINT guys, and, and would maybe aided along with it by the North Vietnamese a little bit too. Could have been that. Uh, could have been one of those things where there was a little confusion, and they're, and they're scratching their heads early on and going, wow, who's this Colonel Tomb? And, of course, there are sources, you know, because I'm sure there were agents, uh, you know. I mean, most of the guys doing the translating were probably Vietnamese, probably at least a few of them informed to the North. And they said, hey, there's this, there's this scary guy named Colonel Tomb. And the North, or those North Vietnamese are like, oh, really? Oh, he doesn't exist, but what the hell? We'll have a little fun with this. So and, it could have been a combination of those things. And I, I really feel, I kind of agree with you. I think that it is some combination of a myth, both on the part of the U.S. and a part on the North Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it, where it ends in that mix, but that's, that's kind of where I think it's at. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're uh, we're done with the flyover there, so we should probably get into the important details that I know everybody listens to the last couple of minutes to try and get a hold of because this is what you love to hear from us, which is all of the how to find us stuff. Oh yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So but how can somebody send us an email, Steve? Well, I'll tell you about that, but I'm going to save that to the end, Joe, because oh. that's not the order it's written on the piece of paper in front oh. of me. God. I know. I'm. I'm. I, if it's not in order, I can't do it. So we, uh, of course, are going to have links for this particular story, as well as all stories that we talk about, on our website. And on that website, you're going to be able to download and stream the episode or any episode. You'll also see on the website, on the right hand side, there is an episode list which is in chronological order, as well as links to merch, so T-shirts, stickers, mugs, all that good stuff. That's all on our website, which is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. We are available for streaming and download just about everywhere that is out there. So if you're using Apple Podcasts, we're on there. If you're using Google Play, we're there. If you're using Stitcher, we're there. If you're on Stitcher Premium, which is really awesome, then we're there as well. Remember, boys and girls, if you use Stitcher Premium, you will get the episodes four days early. You will also get them ad-free, and you will get bonus content. And if you aren't signed up for Stitcher Premium, you can go to stitcher.com slash thinking sideways, use the promo code sideways, and you'll get one month free for that, uh, if you sign up for the annual plan, of course. We are, of course, available on all the social media, because we are all about the social media. Mm. So we are on Reddit with our subreddit, which is our Thinking Sideways. We're on Twitter as Thinkin' Sideways, without the G in the middle, where Devin tweets funny memes and silly pictures. Speaking of pictures, we are also on Instagram, where we are Thinking Sideways podcast. That is also going to be Devin. Putting, I was almost going to say tweeting, but it is posting, posting. silly pictures yep. and funny things. And we are also on Facebook where we have the Facebook group and the Facebook page. So you will like the page. You will join the group. To join the group, you have to answer the questions at which point you'll get in, have all the fun discussions, and meet all the other members who are a hoot, and they will become your new family. So you should join and join our new family. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. we are your only family. Yeah, and uh, they're better than your old family. You don't need them. Exactly. 
And as a family member, you're probably going to want to get a hold of us directly. And you're more than welcome to do that by sending us an email. So if you send us an email at thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail.com, you can send us emails with questions, with comments, with story suggestions, whatever. We'll get back to you. Sometimes it takes a little longer than others, especially with things that are going on. And we've been really busy lately, but we're still answering all those emails. So feel free to send us an email at thinking sideways podcast at gmail.com and with all of that done i think that we're done uh that's the last of it uh you want a mig 17 or you want a mig 21 which do you want you guys oh uh, 21 for me uh neither neither yeah i'll take a boat okay good because i'm afraid to fly so i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm i'm gonna go the john madden way and i'm gonna get on an amtrak so we're all gonna get out of here in our various forms of transport and we will talk to you all next week bye guys uh, toodaloo